The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South. Tailgating on Tiger Lane. Tom three at the Liberty Bowl. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, the uh, columnist for the Commercial Appeal. I'm joined by Evan Barnes, our beat writer, and Jason Munns, our producer, as always. And this week we've got a special guest on the line, former Memphis Tiger offensive lineman Gabe Kuhn. Uh, You may remember him because... He start, he's the first player in school history to start 50 games, and he only graduated last year. Uh, he was an All-AAC selection, first-team All-AAC AAC selection last year, and uh, he's now uh, he's soon going to be a member of the new Memphis Alliance of American football team, the, uh, the Memphis Express, and he's also got his own podcast, uh, the TKT podcast, which... Uh, he releases every Wednesday with his brother Alex. Uh, yep. It's pretty entertaining. Gabe, thanks for joining us. How are things? How are things on your end? Thanks for having me. Uh, they're good. They're good. Just training, trying to gear up for the season. Gotcha. Well, I I wanted to have you on because I thought you had some. You've had some pretty interesting observations throughout the season, the Memphis football season, on Twitter, and uh, we just wanted to get your take now that we're. Obviously, Memphis is now four and three after that disappointing loss to UCF the other day. And I'm curious, you know, you you were part of this program for four years. You know how Mike Norvell works. You know a lot of the guys still on this team. How how do you think they're handling things uh, right now behind the scenes? Take us if you. I mean, I know you're not there anymore, but what do you think it's like behind the scenes right now? It it, it definitely stinks. It definitely stinks to lose a game like that. I know some of them are down, but they got to move on. Um, that wasn't a make or break game. That was a game most people picked for them to lose. So, so I can see them bouncing back pretty well. Uh, I think Norvell, uh, will do a good job of building their confidence back up, uh, going into Mizzou. Yeah. What do you see from this team? What, how are they different than maybe last year's team? Good and bad. I'd say the biggest difference is the ability to stretch a field and be able to throw the ball deep downfield. Um, you're missing Anthony Miller, you're missing Riley Ferguson. And offensively, that has hurt. But I do see um, this offense more run-heavy. It's almost to a fault at times, but they have been uh, been, been very good at uh, getting Daryl Henderson open in uh, open space and uh, been able to expose teams that way. Gotcha. Interesting. So I'm, I mean, you mentioned the biggest difference is – Getting you know those downfield passing plays. What have you uh, What have you thought about Brady White so far through seven games? He, the one thing I will give him, he seems to be to put a term on it, a game manager. He's he's very smart with the ball. He doesn't put himself in bad positions. He tries to limit his interceptions, all his turnovers. Um, but in the end of the day, I think. His ability to throw downfield, while some may say he just he hasn't found the confidence, I, I don't know if it's quite there. The second half the other night, while it was raining, um, which seems to be a common theme uh, with this team, he was before that last drive. He was four for nine uh, for thirty-three yards in that second half, and I would argue that that was one of the reasons that UCF was uh, able to come back in that game because they were able to pack the box and. 
once you run the ball so many times, I mean, Henderson ran the ball 31 times the other night. It, it becomes very, very easy to guess what they're about to do. Uh, so I think Brady White, while uh, he is a smart, smart guy, he seems to have a little bit of command. I think that he is limited in being able to throw the ball and uh, being able to escape the uh, pocket. Can you see this program? I mean, he's obviously he's you know he's got at least another year of eligibility after this, and a year after that if he gets his appeal with the NCA. Can you see them growing around him? You know, can you see this getting better? Or do you think we what he is now is what he'll be? Is that too hard of a no, question to ask no. you as someone not being around the program? He is seven games into his career here at Memphis. So, I mean, there is growing pains that we've clearly seen. I think he can grow, but I do think there's a limit on how much this offense will be able to grow. Um, with Riley, I mean, from his first year to his second year, it was astronomical growth. He was able to have confidence, throw it downfield. He was making great decisions. And in his first year, you did see growing pains just like this year, but Riley seemed to have that passing ability that I even 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 in his early games, he had that passing ability that we've yet to see with Brady. Interesting. I wanted to move on. I thought your most interesting tweet. Um, you weren't this interesting on Twitter, by the way, when you were a player. I'm not going to lie. Um. <laughs> yeah, I get you. I recently got into it. Uh, gotcha. Well, it, it's every if you haven't checked him out, he's at g underscore coon seventy one k u h n. Um, you wrote about the holding call that everyone is talking about here in Memphis. The holding call that took away Daryl Henderson's touchdown. You wrote to my Memphis faithful. With a, this was attached with the video of the play. This is a hold in any conference in any situation in America. Out leverage to the play side, hands outside the framework. Watch the left hand, and he does not let go as the defender tries to pull away. Um, I think that explains it pretty well. I think a lot of people, yeah. you know, they they know what holding is, but at the same time, they don't really know what holding is. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought that was an interesting. Um, you know, bit by bit explanation of it. I caught quite a bit of flack for that one. Yeah, well, and this, <laughs> and it's the guy Dylan Parham. Correct me if I'm wrong. That was the position you played last year, correct? Left guard. I I played right guard. Okay. I played a little bit of left guard. Gotcha. But, I know you played all. You were a utility guy all over the place. But what did you make? Like, just take maybe in layman's terms. You know what? You know what did you make of that call? What did you make of you know? There's there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there about the officiating. I'm curious what your thoughts yeah. are on it in general. Um, the officiating was, I don't think, as bad as people are making it out to be. I do think the last play of the game that was pass interference, but in that type of call, they might say it was just incidental contact. But beyond that, the holding call. It, it was very obvious to me because I've been in that situation before. Mm -hmm. It was an outside run to the left, and Parham was front side. It seemed the defender sort of had a jump on it. I think they ran that play a couple times right before that, mm -hmm. uh, and he jumped out in front to the play side. Um, it looked like Parham sort of got caught off guard a little bit by it, and if you watch it closely, his left, his left hand slips around the back of him, and he never replaces it, and... I had people come uh, tweeting me back on that saying, well, it, it doesn't matter. He would have never made the play anyway. Well, it was directly off of that block. 
directly <laughs> right off of where he fell. So I, any, any referee in America, if it's that close to the play is going to make that call. Yeah. That's what I said. Uh, when you watch it, like I could maybe see an argument because like, again, the other thing I would point out is that people are watching this on replay and slow motion like in the and moment, the side view. yeah, and in the and it's the side view. But in the moment when it's going that fast, and you see a defender falling on his back like that, you know, I can see why. I, even in the moment, I was like, I can see why the ref. I, you know, I didn't. I don't know yeah. the the minutia, the the sort of analysis, the level of analysis you just provided. But just mm-hmm. watching the defender fall like that, I can see why the ref said that that's holding. And it. it I've sat through a bunch of these preseason AAC official meetings and withholding it's something where they look for the signs more mm-hmm. than they actually look at the full entirety of the hold. Um, it was, like I said, it was an outside run and with a run like that, you're generally not getting people on their back in the backfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he generally doesn't twist when he falls like that, if he's not being held. So, while I do think it was a hold, a lot of times officials will call it based on just signs that they see um, either during the play or after. Interesting. Well, we'll, we'll conclude with this, Gabe, and, and um, thanks again for joining us. But how do you see this team getting back? You know, they're 4-3. and three. They've got a really tough game at Missouri coming up this weekend. How does this team get back on track and – you know, can they have? Can they? Can this season still be a success if maybe they don't win the division? Absolutely, this is a bull team. I believe. I I know what Norvell will do um, offensively. He's going to try to build a bunch of confidence in Brady. Uh, try to get um, some short routes, intermediate routes for him to throw, um, and try to uh, switch up his run schemes. He always does a good job as the as the season goes on of being able to throw different wrinkles in the same run schemes he's been running all year. So uh, I know they love a counter play. They love the outside zone. I wouldn't be surprised if they, they uh, throw some wrinkles on that to, to uh, confuse defenses down the stretch of the season. Gabe, uh, before we let you go, this is Jason Munns. I got one question or actually a two part. It's one question, two parts. Um, okay. So how did you decide uh, to get into the podcasting business and then tell us a little bit more about uh, your podcast and kind of what people can expect from it? Well, I'm a, I'm a journalism major. I uh, graduated from university. That's, a, bo- that's a bold <laughs> and risky move, my friend. But still, good on you. Hey, hey. Uh, but uh, I feel like where I come from, it's, a, it's, it's a inside. I have an inside sort of look at college football and and I sort of know what to look at as far as looking at talent and everything like that and I just feel like I provide sort of a different different route to sort of the same same subjects but uh the TKT podcast me and my brother sort of got together one day and I'll tell you what being a football being a football uh, player and a journalist at the same time in college is not the easiest thing in the world you have to be at a lot of places and football takes up most of that time. So I didn't get to get all of the um, experience that most most people are able to get. So so he felt like it would be a great route um, 
for us to get on this podcast together, talk college football, NFL football, and it, it, it's basically been right up my alley. Have you had many conversations with the uh, Express about, are, are they worried about your uh, your insight and your, um, I guess, your your the magnifying glass that you carry in your back pocket? <laughs> No, no, they're not, they're not worried about that. Okay, I uh, I won't I won't be talking I won't be talking too much uh, express football besides for you know interviews on the side and stuff like that. Right. I'm not going to actually analyze and break down play calls and stuff like I would normally. Not on uh, the that, record. That, yeah, seems like I'm a little too close for that. <laughs> Very cool. Well. Uh, if you want to subscribe to Gabe's uh, TKT podcast, uh, you can find it at I, on iTunes. Um, you can follow him on Twitter, again, at G underscore Coon 71. Gabe, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I thought you provided a lot of great insight there. And uh, looking forward to seeing I, I hear you have a special guest on this week's podcast. Is that accurate? Yeah, we're Jake Elliott. Having Jake Elliott on this week. That'll be a good one. That'll be interesting. Very cool. Well, uh, thanks again, and uh, good luck with everything with the podcast and uh, with the Express. Uh, We appreciate you being with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, uh, we just heard Gabe Kuhn. Some pretty interesting thoughts there, Evan, about Brady White, this team, Mike Norvell. What's, What's your initial reaction to what you heard? Well, he was honest, that's for sure. Um, I thought he was really honest about Brady. I think um, it's something we've heard a lot of people say. You know, they wonder about Brady White's downfield ability and just kind of, you know, what can happen with that. Um, but I thought he was pretty, you know, he was pretty honest about that. I think, interesting note, I, I was looking up Riley Ferguson's first year just to kind of throw this out there. Riley had three games where he had zero touchdown passes. One of those games he, I think, only threw the ball five times. Brady's had two already where he hasn't thrown a touchdown pass. So, it's kind of interesting how Brady struggles. Granted, he hasn't thrown, I don't believe he's thrown for over 300 yards since that first game, but touchdown passes, he's only, he hasn't thrown them in two games, and Riley had the same thing. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard to put this so much on Brady White, but it feels like against UCF, when they couldn't move the ball downfield, UCF just pinned their ears back and said, let's go get Daryl Henderson. You saw Daryl didn't have too many lanes to run through. So I don't know. I thought that was pretty uh, pretty telling he said that. Two things that pop in my head. One, as much as the offense really struggled, to me the defining play of the game and the game that changed everything was that fourth and one that the defense gave up. If Memphis gets a stop there on the 29-yard line, to me the game is over, probably. The first fourth and one? Yeah, the, the one they scored a 71-yard touchdown yeah. on. Um, that, was, yeah. that was a boomer bust play, and if they stop it, it's bust. Heck, even if they just hold it to like a five-yard gain, you never know what's going to happen on that drive. Um, but to me, that was the biggest difference in the game. Yeah. Now, what was interesting to me from what Gabe said, though, about Brady is just what he was, I think, implying is like the look. Like even though when Riley was struck having his some of his issues that first year, there were moments and just times where like – you look, he made a throw and you were like, whoa. And I don't, I think there's none of that whoa factor with Brady um, to suggest that, you know, there can be this giant leap between year one and year two, um, like there was, like he said there was with Riley. Um, so that was, that was pretty interesting to me. And then 
the reason I brought him, I wanted him on, and I, I, I direct messaged him to get him on uh, over the weekend is his take on the holding call because I just wanted to point out to everybody, like I'm hearing all these conspiracy theories about oh they see wanted UCF to win which they did which I wrote last week but that doesn't mean the officials like threw the game for UCF UCF had more penalties than Memphis they blew a late pass interference call like and what I would just say to fans is that I bet there is not a college football game this year where some fan base doesn't think the the refs blew a call. Now, you could argue it happened to be, you know, the most important play of the game, but Memphis also put itself in that spot with how poorly it managed the end of that game against UCF. Um, and then obviously, like like Gabe said, that holding call, I don't think it was as bad as a lot of Memphis fans think. In the moment, in the press box, as everyone was saying, oh, it was a pancake block, even I... I you guys were there. I was saying, I go, I, I can see why this ref made the call because it looked like holding. And now, you know, when you slow it down, maybe you can make an argument that it's not holding. But when a ref is calling a penalty, it's not slowing. There's no slow down replay. You know, you, you're in the moment and you're like, like Gabe said, and they tell the players this before the season. They're looking for signs. And that had all the telltale signs of a hold. Um, now, was it a hold? I mean, Gabe says it was. A lot of Memphis fans say it wasn't. You know, we'll never know for sure because the AAC, Evan, you reported, you know, declined to talk about the officiating in the game, citing league policy. Um, that that to me is the most disappointing part in all this. Like they, these guys need to be these leagues, not just the AAC, because it's all over the place. Need to be more transparent about stuff like this. Um, but all in all, at it was disappointing just because it was so disappointing Saturday just because of how awesome Memphis looked in the first half and how great the atmosphere was. And then it starts raining and then UCF, you know, makes all the big plays late. Memphis can't score a point in the second half. And now you're looking at a scenario where, you know, you're four and three and one and three in conference going into a really tough Missouri game um, where you're a 10 point underdog at this point. And you just want, I, I just, I wonder how this team's going to recover. I, like Gabe said, they're a bowl team, but I want to see, like, after this Missouri game, I could see them stringing off a bunch of wins if, if the mood in that locker room, if the mood behind the scenes stays even keeled and guys don't, you know, sort of check out. And Gabe seemed to be pretty confident that they will bounce back and they will be resilient and that sort of thing. I just need to see it first because that was a very demoralizing, very, very demoralizing way to get beat at home. You know, you're up. It's It's been circled on the calendar for who knows how long. You know, it's it's you're trying to avenge the conference championship game last year and, and to, to have it go down the way it went down, it's just – I I need to see them bounce back before you know I, I'm not so sure as Gabe seems to be. Evan, what is what is the what is the sort of narrative been at practice this week? Do you sense do you sense demoralization? Do you sense a, a team that's you know down on itself? It was funny. Um, Jackson Dillon talked about how he felt that the way this team bounced back at practice today, we're recording this Tuesday, he thought that the attitude was much better than when on past teams he was on when teams would lose and they just completely checked out. He thought they were still focused. They're still in it. They're not giving up. Um, 
Drew Kaiser talked about, you know, flushing and keep it going. Um, Chris Ball said it's not a mental thing. It's, you know, they just got to make better plays. But it feels like, you know, you know, as 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 Mike talked about, you know, he was pleased with their effort. He said that you guys played hard. He said it today after practice that, you know, the effort was there. It was just fixing those little things. So I think for them, they're not as much demoralized as much as they're just like, why do we keep messing up in the second half? Why do we keep messing up in the fourth quarter? But we just got to keep figuring it out. Well, you can look at it two ways, I think. One way you can look at it is they blew another game. They blew another game they should have won. They should be six and one. Like mm-hmm. let's say yeah. let's yeah. let's be honest. The Tulane game, they got their butts beaten. But they should have beaten Navy and they should have beaten UCF. Um the other way you can look at it is though that they had the number ten team in the country, the team with the longest winning streak in the country, on the ropes and should have won the game. Mm-hmm. And if one or two things of these one or two of these six or seven things that we've talked about go Memphis's way instead of UCF's, they end up they probably do end up eking out a win. And so I do think there's some confidence to be derived from that in that they, you know, they they essentially they gave I mean they were the it was the they gave UCF its largest deficit of this winning streak. UCF had not trailed by 16 points like they were against Memphis. And so um it's something I think you can draw a lot of positives from that. At the same time, the way it ended was real. Like it, it, it almost like mutes some of that. But the more this coaching staff can preach, hey, for basically two and a half quarters, we were kicking the number ten team in the country. You know, yeah. the better it is for this group. And I think for, for another thing, too, is we thought going into Navy that they would have a hard time there because it's hard to win in Navy. You know that very well, Mark. And they played really well against Navy for three quarters. Their defense held them under their uh, their rushing yard average. I think they're still that's the lowest rushing toll they've had this year. So they've done well in the two games we thought would have given them the most trouble, Navy and uh, UCF at this point. So there is some positive there. The question is, you know, mentally it's like, finishing these games because my biggest my biggest thing and this is something that i'm having our people talk about is the last drive against navy we saw this they got to the 34 yard line and then they made um interesting play calls that they couldn't you know move the ball down the field and get you know closer to maybe get a field goal against ucf they got to the ucf 35 okay everything is fine sean dice gets up first down they rush to the line and then that penalty happens on trayvon tate that was a bad one. The second thing that happened, the 10-second runoff, they didn't spike the ball. And Mike talked about how he wished he could go back and spike the ball. But I think for me, those end-of-game situations is kind of where Memphis has to figure out, okay, we can hang with these teams, but can we finish? And I think that's where I'm wondering how will they do against Missouri? Because if it's a tight game with Missouri, will it get in their heads and think, okay, we're right here, we got to do this, and then one thing goes wrong, and then it's quicksand all over again. It's going to be a fascinating challenge with Drew Locke, um, an NFL caliber quarterback, a guy some people think's a first round draft pick, a defensive line that's really kind of held its own against Georgia, against Alabama this year. I mean, this Missouri team is though they're on a are they on a three game losing, losing streak? They've two of those losses are to Alabama and Georgia, and in both those games they looked pretty good. They gave the they 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 gave those teams a game, and so. Um, it'll be it's it's Barry Odom, the guy who a lot of people thought was going to be the head coach here after Justin Fuente. Um, <clears throat> he was interviewed for the job. Um, he was Justin Fuente's defensive coordinator here. 
Um, and obviously he ended up at Missouri, but that's an interesting angle as well with him facing some players who he used to coach. Uh, there's not that many left anymore, but uh, nonetheless. Um, but it's also interesting, you know, I don't actually, it's funny, we all assume with three conference losses they can't win the division. And I think it's unlikely that they do at this point. But I was looking at just the schedules these other teams have, Houston, Navy, because the, the, the West division, aside from Houston, is pretty awful awful this year. <laughs> and there is actually a scenario where they, they could, if Memphis doesn't lose another conference game, where they could go into that Houston game with a chance to maybe win the division. So, and that's something that I think fans should be aware of. You know, it's again, it's unlikely because I think at this point, Navy has two conference losses, Tulane has one conference loss, and Houston has none. None. Yeah, but Houston, there's there's some games where you could say maybe 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 Houston will lose this one. Really, it's Houston who you're looking at. I think Navy's going to lose two more. I think Tulane will lose at least two, at least three more. Um, it's really Houston. Will they drop a game? A game? I think they have to play USF, and I think they play. You know, they got to play Navy still, and teams like that. Yeah, they so. got they got Navy this week, and I think that's going to be critical. If they beat Navy, then. But we should. I'm just saying this for fans. I don't think it's feasible. I, I not. It is feasible. I don't think it's likely that Memphis somehow win. You know, they got to focus on winning a game here. Because they're one in three in the conference, and <laughs> so it'll be very interesting to see how this week plays out. Then Memphis has a bye, and how they sort of close this year, um, given sort of the issues they've gone through. Because ultimately, like I said, this very easily could be a six and one football team, and they're four and three. I think they're better than four and three, um, but they got to show it. They got to finish some of these games and. And we'll see how this all plays out the rest of the week. But uh, thanks again to Gabe Kuhn for joining us. I thought it was really insightful. Um, We will join you next week after uh, they go to Missouri. Uh, Till then, I was Mark. This was Evan. And we were joined by Jason. As always, check out CommercialAppeal.com for all your Tiger football coverage. A new episode of the Tiger Football Podcast posts each Tuesday during the regular season. You can also subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I'm Sean King. The Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.